Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Over the next 20 minutes, our goal is to dig deeper into the themes and topics of the most recent Sunday teaching. We'll look to tackle some of the challenging kinds of questions that you may be thinking as you heard the message but didn't get the opportunity to ask the teacher at the time. This podcast works in conjunction with our weekly Beyond the Sermon devotional. If you don't receive those already, you can sign up using the link in our podcast show notes. So whatever you're doing right now, at the gym, driving, folding laundry, whatever it might be, we invite you to listen in as together we go Beyond the Sermon. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship at The Ridge, and I'm also your host for Beyond the Sermon. And with me today, I have my good friend and Ridge Marketing and Communication Director, Dan Logan. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Will. Good, good to be here again. Yes, good to have you back in the studio. Uh, Dan, I think you've given three messages at The Ridge, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yes, and I'm, I'm actually really enjoying you, uh, hearing you teach more. I think we have a lot of great offline conversations just in passing yeah. <laughs> about things, but it's cool to see you having the opportunity to get to share some. Good of to have one endorsement. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know you've got many. You actually kind of led us in our second week of the, the King series. Um, for our listeners, if you you know you missed like last week, so Mike was starting us off in a new sermon series, which we're really looking forward to. And you had us uh, in Kings 1, uh, first Kings, sorry, three and four, mm-hmm. and with King Solomon, who's probably one of the most famous kings in the Bible, known for many things, but actually probably most well known for his wisdom. And thankfully, we have much of that written in the book of Proverbs, which is really cool to have. But I, I want to start off our conversation just with a quote from your your sermon. You defined wisdom as clear-sightedness in a confusing world. Clear-sightedness in a confusing world. So can you unpack that slightly? That's um, a fresh way of looking at wisdom. So what exactly were you talking about when you talked about clear-sightedness? Yeah, I, that's a definition I had to... Um kind of come up with uh, based on the life of Solomon, right? Because I think, as with most words, the context can sometimes play a role in how we how we view them and how, um, how we define them, right? And so clear-sightedness in a chaotic world, I think, was, was apt given the environment that Solomon grew up in. And so actually, I think we have some useful examples from the life of Solomon that we can draw on to kind of better understand what that wisdom looked like for him. And I think it actually has some good corollaries to our, to our own life as well. So one form of clear-sightedness that we see in Solomon's life is being able to navigate like complex or confusing situations mm. and often to find solutions that maybe would have eluded other people, right? So it's, oh man, this is a mess. I don't know what to do with it. A wise person might be able to sift through that mess and find a solution or at least some useful perspective on that. And so on Sunday, I shared the example um, of Solomon having to sort out a dispute between two prostitutes. Now, this is, I'm not going to say like a super famous passage of the Bible, but it's a pretty famous one connected to Solomon. And the basic idea is there's two women, there's two infants, and one of the infants dies in, in the night. And then they come before the king with a dispute as to whose mother um, the surviving infant is, right? Mm. So like who, who, who actually has the living child? Um, kind of a classic she said, she said sort of mm. moment here. And so they, they come before Solomon, and this is confusing. This is in the time before a paternity test or a maternity test, right? We right. don't really have a great way of figuring this out. It's still a baby, so like looks aren't going to play a lot of role there. This, this is a tough one. And so Solomon's able to think rationally. He's able to think logically. And he devised this kind of a situation where um, hopefully uh, he'll be able to uh, expose the true heart 
of the, the both women, right? The motivations mm-hmm. of them. And so he was able through that to bring order to the chaos. One woman was clearly bitter. She wanted the baby to be cleaved in half right? Um, because she wanted both of them to be miserable, to share that misery. The other one freely said, no, give it to the other person. And mm-hmm. so again, he was able to, from a chaotic, confusing, confounding situation, see a path forward and get to the heart of the people involved and therefore find the truth. Yeah. Um, he uh, did it in a really drastic way, though. I oh, mean, yeah. His, his, Bring me a sword, right? I'm going to cut this I'm gonna baby cut in the half. baby in half, and then you can have a half each. And, of course, the tree mother then steps forward. and Yeah, it was, it was a ruse all along, you would have to imagine. I, I hope he wasn't going to go through with it. Right. Um, and, it, again, it revealed that that heart of the woman. Yeah. So that's that's one example is that, like, um, discernment amid chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Another way that clear-sightedness, I think, um, plays out in Solomon's life is in the form of, like, visionary leadership. Um, so we see that on display later on um, in in the book of Kings. We see it recounted in Chronicles, things like that, um, where there are so many building projects that he does, right? So um, he, he plants orchards, he um, builds all kinds of elaborate structures, but the most famous of which uh, was the temple of God, right? And so um, I've actually spent some time in the last few days reading more about this. And as you proceed through Kings, you see some really, um, specific uh, descriptions of what this temple looked like. And so it's clear from scripture that for Solomon and his advisors, this was a really ambitious project given the time and place they were living mm-hmm. uh, in world history. Um, and so the structure was complicated. It was ambitious. And so they had to come up with some pretty ingenious ways to solve architectural and just logistical problems. And I read yesterday that um, the largest foundation stone in the temple that they shaped and used um, as, as the base for the entire structure weighed in at 570 tons and converted what? to things that maybe we understand better in America. That's over 1 million pounds, a single stone weighing more than 1 wow, million pounds so that they had to find a way to transport and put in the perfect place and then shape it just right to join with other stones to form everything that came above it. And so, I mean, just trying to get your head around what that would have been like in terms of mm-hmm. a challenge for people at that point in time. These people, though, um, they were able to figure it out. And so there was a commitment to finding solutions. I think that that drive is maybe a form of wisdom, like we can figure a way through this, mm. but also like a resting on the promises of God. God promised it was possible. And mm. so they knew the, the, the wisdom to understand, like, we will find a way. So there's two. And then the yeah, final good. one would be, uh, and this was one I think is actually maybe the most interesting, the one that I can relate to best. He shows clear-sightedness in his understanding of human limitation. Right, And we don't see this so much in the passages that I talked on, but later on in Solomon's life, it's definitely evident in the book of Ecclesiastes, for example. Um, we see that Solomon accomplishes a lot in life, right? So he brings peace and security to Israel. He builds lavish orchards and vineyards. He establishes like lucrative trading relationships with other nations, and he builds the temple. And yet, despite he's a, the fact that he's accomplished all of these things, Ecclesiastes makes it just so evident that he spends the entire book really contemplating the limits of human ingenuity and self-sufficiency. And so the ultimate form of clear-sightedness for Solomon anyway is really humility, right? It's Mm -hmm. this understanding um, that we can't do everything and Mm -hmm. that we have to surrender ultimately to God's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, you know, I mean, the first thing that really struck me about that definition of wisdom is the clarity piece. And what are we seeing clearly what does it mean to have wisdom and what are we seeing clearly and i think what you're saying is we not only see god clearly of who he is but we also see ourselves clearly and yeah, living yeah. out of that place is living a life of wisdom really those are two foundational 
perspectives, you know, when we have clarity on those things of who God is and who we are, then we, we tend to live out a life of wisdom. Yeah. And in our case, the limitations they're in, and in God's case, the limitless right. nature of who he is, you know, <laughs> that's, that's pretty helpful. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I love that. One other thing I was thinking as well of having wisdom, you talk about having clear sightedness in chaotic situations. And I think there's, if there's something that chaos can do or just challenging circumstances that we walk through, it can kind of cloud our thinking and we just can't, we, we often use the phrase, we can't think clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, asking God for that wisdom of a sense of Lord, help me to think clearly and to see clearly in the midst of chaos that I would, would I would see things as you see them. I would um, think in the way that you think about them and, and step you know, keep in step with that because so often when there is chaos or whether there is challenge, those things are really clouded and what we do need is clear sightedness. And that doesn't mean that we're always going to find a magic bullet sort of solution. Right. Sometimes the clear thinking that we need is this is bigger than me. Yes. You know, and that's valuable too. It gives you peace in that chaos. Yes, for sure. Um, You and I are both uh, very aware just to kind of shift gears here. We're both aware that many in the modern day believe that really discerning right and wrong or wisdom, what is wise, is really a personal choice uh, that morality is defined not externally by God, but more really internally by each individual. So how does this kind of perspective stand in contrast to what we read in the Bible or what you were sharing on Sunday from you know First Kings? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, maybe it's one of the most important questions of our time, I think, is yeah. this seeming contradiction or juxtaposition between morality um, in a cultural sense and that in a spiritual sense, right, from, mm. from God. So we live in what I would say is a pretty contradictory society at times. Um, we live in a world where many people believe that right and wrong, as you said, are really kind of in the eyes of the beholder. We can mm. decide that for ourselves. And yet we have also built a system of government um, really that's based around laws that are designed to place limits on what's permissible and, mm-hmm. and what's not. And so the Bible teaches um, that God is also a God of laws. And just like we are a culture of laws, so too is God a God of laws. And there are lots of categories where law and faith, so more civil society sort of law and, mm-hmm. and f- laws defined by faith, they're, they're well aligned. Culture and, and faith come into alignment on a lot of the definitions of what's right, what's wrong, what's permissible, what's not. Mm. An example of that would be like civil laws designed to make sure that we don't hurt or exploit one another, right? So like don't kill. That makes sense. Don't traffic other human beings. Don't commit arson, right? These are these are not all that helpful um, to us building a, a, a society, right? If mm-hmm. we're working against each other, that's going to set us back in a lot of ways. And right. the Bible and and the world are really aligned on those sorts of things. But where I think some of the rubber meets the road is with a different subset of laws. There's these laws that deal with individual morality mm-hmm. and personal freedom. So this is where there tends to be pretty considerable tension between faith and culture. It's the realm of moral law where things kind of get murky when topics such as like extramarital sex or drug and alcohol use or same-sex marriage enter the frame. So on the one hand here, you've got kind of the common cultural argument, I would say, that goes kind of like this. As long as the actions of one person are not harming other people, then anything goes, Mm -hmm. right? It's this idea that's pretty closely tied to that idea of 
um, civil law, right? So the, if the function of law is really merely to preserve our ability to coexist with others, then you can see why this idea of in, individual freedom would be really attractive and almost um, logical to a lot of people. Yeah. Who cares who I sleep with or what drugs I take or what I do in my private life as long as I'm not materially harming another person? Mm. So this is where, like I said, I think the rubber can kind of read the road or meet the road. But when we read the Bible, what we find is that God is interested in a lot more than just how we interact with others. That's part of it. There are laws yes. that deal with civil society in the Bible. Um, but he wants each of us as individuals to have life and to have it to the full. And because we as Christians believe that God designed us in his image, it only stands to reason that he has a pretty good idea of what we might need to do and how we might need to live in order to live the fullest, happiest, most fulfilling life. And so whereas society is largely unconcerned with private life and personal well-being, God is intimately concerned with that. These are of major importance to him. And he devotes a great deal of time in scripture providing us with information about what right living looks like. And more often than not, actually every time, it's relationship with him. It points us to back to him so that we can learn from him. We can live with him and we can learn to live like him because, again, we were designed in his image. Right. And speaking of, of that, in terms of God being our creator, <clears throat> being made in his image, it, it takes me back, obviously, to the creation story and and really the crux of what happened there with Adam and Eve, which was essentially wanting to take the, that platform of, of God, taking that control, and uh, that we've seen that then throughout, really, the Bible, but also throughout history, Really, that our at our default, we have this as human beings. We have this sense of wanting to be in control, and you know, authors of our own destiny, uh, definers of our own mor- morality. We we presuppose <laughs> that we know what's better for us, better than God does. Yes, better than anybody outside of us, including and, God. Uh, yes, including God. Yeah. Any external uh, things that would, would try and define us, and and you and I have talked a little bit about this, and you know, it's kind of the age that we live in. So this isn't, in, even though it is a characteristics of the modern age, it is not anything new. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Ecclesiastes, it's not unique nothing to new the modern the age. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, this is part of what human beings have been doing from the very beginning was basically, uh, you know, pushing God to one side and, and trying to elevate ourselves to that position. But I think what we've discovered over the course of history that that never really works out terribly well um, when the created go against the creator and and so um, again to come back to your theme of humility, I think it, you know wisdom begins with humility before God and recognizing that we have a shepherd, we have a king, we have a leader, we have a creator, and we're really made to submit to Him and His ways. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came and lived that out in a life to show us like. This is what life looks like. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. You know? Yeah, no, you're taking the words out of my mouth. I think that's really good stuff, Will. Um, you know, I think when we think about wisdom, um, maybe it's our culture that does this to us. Maybe it's just the dictionary definition. Even in the life of Solomon, though, the, the illustrations I gave on, on Sunday, um, we often think about it as like a guide to practi- a practical guide to living, right? It's going to mm. benefit us in some way here on earth. And that's not altogether untrue, right? I mean, in the life of Solomon, we saw a lot of examples of how wisdom suited him well in doing God's work here on earth um, Mm. in, you know, governing a kingdom. Right. Um, But the ultimate, I think uh, 
the truth that Solomon arrives at in his life, and again, this is borne out in Proverbs, you see it in Ecclesiastes, is that humility thing. It's that piece of, you know, the world has lots of problems, and we can play a role in solving them, but we're powerless to solve any of them if we don't first invite God into that mm-hmm. and try to try to go about solving those things in his way. Um, you know, when you think about the source of good and evil, that was another theme that was pretty evident in my, my, uh, my sermon. Um, you know, all the bad things in the world are the source of, or come from evil. And as Christians, we know that the source of that is ultimately sin, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. worldly uh, problems or problems in our own life, inner turmoil that we have, sin is the problem. And so well-meaning people can spend a lot of their time and a lot of their energy spinning their wheels and trying to solve the world's problems that are caused by that sin. But ultimately, Solomon included, any solutions we come up with are temporary. Somebody else is going to come along and derail those or introduce mm-hmm. new sets of problems because sin is still is is pervasive in our world. And the only way that we get around that, the only solution to the sin problem is not going to come from you and me. It's going to come from God or more specifically, it's going to come from Jesus. Mm. Um, And the amazing thing is um, all the world's problems already have a solution. And and that's just aligning ourselves as people with the heart of God, Um, Mm. aligning ourselves with the person of Jesus. We have the perfect role model. We have somebody who is willing to live and then to die on our behalf. And so align yourself closer to him. Mm. prioritize that relationship in your life. And and that's going to be the best we can do to combat every evil that exists Mm. under the sun. No, I love that. And again, what we're, where we're going with this as well is this kind of relational piece. I mean, I love that um, you talked about wisdom isn't the ultimate goal, which I thought was a striking statement in, in your sermon, um, which I, I really loved because you know, wisdom isn't the be all and end all. Actually, wisdom itself is embodied in a person. You know what we're what we're aspiring to is the wisdom of God and who He is, and to really grow in wisdom uh, is really to know Him and be changed by Him. And that's the piece here. I think that's it's really important as well that this isn't a a thing of you know I'm gonna. Uh, you know, got good aspirations to become a person of wisdom and make good decisions and, you know, see clearly and, and chaos. And But actually what we need is the transformative work of the Holy Spirit where we're changed more and more in, in, into the likeness of, of Jesus, that we think like him, that we see like him. And um, he is making us into people of wisdom. Yeah, You know, I remember Tim Keller, the um, pastor and author, who was talking about his sons, you know, when they would grow up and they would come to him as seven-year-olds and they would say, Dad, we want to go out in the neighborhood and, you know, play with our, our friends and, you know, go biking and stuff. And he was like, sure, that's fine. Just be home for dinner, you know, at six o'clock and they would come. And he said, well, my sons are older now. I mean, they have the kids of their own. He said, they do not come by my door and say to me, Dad, can we, you know, go out? They grew into to man of wisdom. They can make those decisions for themselves. And I feel like with God, um, with the Holy Spirit working in us, we can become people of wisdom. Mm-hmm. It isn't always the case of turning to God and saying, like, sister, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I? We become more and more like Jesus and we walk in those ways of wisdom. And that unlocks the ultimate goal of God, which is life and life to the full. Right. You know, wisdom is, like I said, it's not the finish line. It's it's a tool. Um, it's it's a really amazing gift, truly. Yes. That gives us something even greater. And that's life. And life comes from God and we get access to him um, by living wisely. That's good. Yeah. Dan, this is awesome. 
uh, we could continue talking, but we've reached our time. <laughs> Probably over it <laughs> maybe again. Maybe we'll do a part two, maybe. <laughs> um, thanks again for, yeah, all your work. And I know it takes a lot of redrafting and all that uh, kind of thing with sermons. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is. It's a joy to be able to do it and a privilege. So thank you. And uh, if you're looking to get more involved in the The Ridge, you know, why not visit our website, ridgelife.org. Click on Grow, Connect, Serve tabs just to find ways to grow in your relationship with God, as well as get to know others, uh, you know, as you do that. So thanks again for being with us. We hope you'll join us next time on Beyond the Sermon. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week. I want to mention one last thing before we go. Our heart at The Ridge is to help people grow in their relationship with God. There are so many ways to get connected into what can be life-changing environments for you and your family. The best way to keep in touch with all that is happening is through our website, ridgelife.org, but also through our weekly e-news. You can sign up to receive this directly to your inbox using the link in our podcast show notes. Finally, thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please feel free to share with friends or family. We hope to catch you next time on Beyond the Sermon.